how you pray and what you pray for can define, in many ways, your legacy here on earth. And I know that's a pretty bold claim, so let me say it again, and we'll explain it this morning. How you pray and what you pray for can define your legacy here on earth. It's really interesting as we look at this text in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you look at verses 1 and 2 with me, we see that God uses prayer to empower the effectiveness of his word. Paul begins the section and he asks them, uh, these people in Macedonia, he gives them the request, please pray for us. He'd already expressed ongoing prayers for them at multiple points uh, in this book, in chapter 1, verse 3, in chapter 2, verse 13. And during those prayers, he gives thanks to God for saving them. He uh, talks about the fruit that God has produced in them and through them. He's praying that they will stand firm and continue to grow and change. But now, he turns the tables and he asks them if they will pray for him. And at first glance, that might seem easy enough to pass over. But it points to something pretty significant. Part of the ongoing ministry of all Christians is found in praying for each other. And in its most basic way, praying for another person is an act of love. But in its most uh, incredible way, praying for another person is a way in which you participate in God's work of changing that person for the rest of their life. And there's something else that's striking here. You would expect that Paul, the super apostle, the scholar, Paul, the one who is planting churches throughout the known world. Paul, the one who is raising up leaders and teaching profound and mysterious truths about God. Paul, the one who met the Lord Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. You would expect that that Paul would pray for these young fledgling Christians and that God would hear his prayers and would bless them as a result. You would expect that. But you wouldn't immediately expect that the fledgling baby Christians in this congregation who are experiencing false teaching, who are growing but who are at risk, you might not naturally think that the super apostle would need them to pray for him. But friends, this is just a glimpse into the way that God works. If you have a relationship with God through faith in his son Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then you become his child. And whether you are a child of his for a hundred years or for five minutes, whether you are old or young or immature or mature or struggling to hang on or finding yourself in an ongoing encouraged state, he hears you. He hears your prayers. And the truth is, 
that mature Christians need prayer for them just as much as young Christians need prayer as well. Because Christians and the life of the Christian is one in which we are bound together through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that union with him creates this incredible, unique spiritual union that we have with each other. And what should you pray for? Well, look at what Paul asks for prayer for. He says in verse 1, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. That's such an interesting expression. We're going to spend a disproportional amount of time on verse 1 today because that idea, I think, is so important for what your prayer life can look like. That the word may speed ahead and be honored. Gospel work is word work. God's primary work in the world, as you begin to think about it, is definitely more than, but certainly not less than, the expanse of his word, which we call the scriptures and which communicate the gospel. Not just part of his word, but his whole word. Now, we're often tempted to think that God works in this world in primary works of mercy, or that God works through physical and tangible results, or that works of inspiration are really how we see or perceive that God is working in our midst. If we can help a person out of a low place, then God must be blessing it. If we can feel a certain type of spiritual uh, heightening or desire, then God must be there. Or, or if we have the sort of unique, mysterious, tingling feeling on the inside when something is happening, that is what primarily constitutes the work of God. But actually what we see in the Bible again and again is that word work is what primarily constitutes the work of God. And it is truly just as exciting as many of those other things that we just described. Sometimes there are tangible results immediately. And other times the responses might take years. But God accomplishes his work through his word. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, we see an expression that's repeated many, many times. It's called the word of the Lord. And when the word of the Lord goes out, people's lives are changed. In the coming of Jesus, what we call the incarnation... He is called the Word made flesh. All of the promises of God given by his words find their yes and amen in his Son. He himself, the Word made flesh, refers back to the Word of God in the Old Testament and talks about what God has said and how what he has said applies to what is happening in the moment. Throughout the New Testament, God inspired the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit to preach and to record his word. It's what we call 
the New Testament Gospels and Epistles today. And as they do, the Gospel not went out not just with any words about God, but rather very specific words. And God's kingdom expanded, and men and women and boys and girls have put their faith in Jesus Christ now for a couple thousand of years. Not in response to just any group of inspiring words about God, or about the spiritual life, or even about salvation. But in response to very specific words. We see this throughout the Bible. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 22, the writer talks about the nature of words. And he says, my words are life to those who find them and healing to all flesh. That's the power of God's word. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 63, he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says again, he answers, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Psalm 119.9 is this incredible uh, beautiful description about a relationship with God and what it looks like when God speaks and we respond. And in verse 9 of Psalm 119, it says, How can a man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. God speaks in the Bible. That's why we call it his word. And you can hear and receive his word And when you do, it changes your life. And so I wonder, when you think about what God is doing in the world, when you think about what the whole plan is, and when you think about how you might describe the different aspects of what God is doing, the Bible describes this work of God as an increase of people hearing and responding to his word. Here's just two examples. Early church, apostles are starting to preach in different geographical locales, and Acts chapter 6 says this. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 12, verse 24, similarly, it says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. It's interesting that it speaks about God's growing work of his kingdom as the word increasing. And so we see here, In this text for today, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1, Paul asks that they would pray that the word would speed ahead. It's another way of saying, pray that the word would increase and be honored. 
And the image of speeding ahead is the image of a race, isn't it? That there's a race in which one speeds ahead, and the winner of that race is the one who is honored. And so picture with me a race, a marathon, or even a race around a 400-meter track. And it's, it's curious that God's word is described as being in a race, that God's work in the world is described as a race. But when you stop and think about it, that makes sense. There's a sense of urgency attached to a race. There's a sense of victory or loss attached to a race. And throughout human history, we've seen multiple ideas or systems for life or false gods that have been promoted as a way for you to experience happiness or fulfillment or joy or even eternity. And there is a race that is happening right now. It has urgency attached to this race. If God gives spiritual life and eternal life through his word, through the proclamation of and the reception of what he says, then souls are at stake in this race. And there are other competing views. And eternity is the outcome. And it's imperative then that this word gets out. There's a lot of different ways that we could probably illustrate the nature of this race, but there was a news story a few years back that illustrated it almost perfectly. Two news stories, actually, on the very same day, February 3rd, 2016. Deepak Chopra, who is a Hindu holistic health expert and author of over 80 books, spent three days leading a workshop for MBA students at Columbia University in Manhattan. And according to the Wall Street Journal, roughly 65 students sat in silent meditation with their eyes closed, their smartphones and laptops were out of sight, and this affable spiritual guide to Oprah Winfrey and Lady Gaga and Ariane Huffington and others told the students, bring your awareness into your heart. Ask yourself, who am I? And then he invoked Hindu goddesses. He featured a band of urban yogis. And he asked the students to diagram their spiritual profile. The very same day, on the other end of the earth, in the largely Hindu nation of Nepal, Christianity and church planting were both exploding. An article on NPR noted, now Nepal has one of the fastest growing Christian populations in the world. According to the national census, the Christian population has grown from zero in 1951 to 458 in 1961 to 102,000 in 2001 and to more than 375,000 just a decade later. Missions is now from anywhere to everywhere and the race is on. You know, I think that all of us want to see God 
save more people. To experience spiritual inspiration and resolve. Not mere superficial excitement or an emotional rise. Those things are great and enjoyable. But something that is bottomlessness in its yearning for God. And it's plumbed all the way down to the depths of our souls. How does that happen? It can't be manufactured. It happens when the word speeds ahead. When God chooses to effectively apply his word in profound ways to our hearts and to our minds, to our emotions and to our will. I wonder if you want that for yourself. I wonder if you want it for others. Then a very clear practical application of this text by way of example, is to start praying this way. When you start to pray for other people, when you start to pray for our church, pray with me that the word will speed ahead. Because it is this word that when it takes root, plumb down into the depths of your soul, where lives are changed and inspiration comes every single day as God works in your life. Pray with me that the word will speed ahead in your own heart. And in the hearts that you know around you. Paul asks a very specific request. He asks to pray for the person. He says pray for us, the communicators of this word. Pray for us with the result that the word speeds ahead. Not that the person would gain fame. Not that the person would gain notoriety. Not that the person would receive great honor. But that God would gain fame. That God would gain notoriety. That God would receive great honor honor as the word speeds ahead in your heart. Prayer is the means by which God advances his word to people and changes their life. Here's four brief applications of this idea for you. Application number one is this of course has profound implications for why we engage in international missions. Why do we raise up hundreds of thousands of dollars to support brothers and sisters on foreign fields and with a particular focus from our church of word-based church-driven ministry? Because that's how the word speeds ahead in all of these different foreign places. And so pray for support, encourage, lift up these types of word-advancing missionaries and ministries. Number two, pray that the word will speed ahead right here in our church and through our church. Every single Sunday at our church, we have about 15 people who gather before the service, most of them elders, some of them just faithful ministry folks in the congregation. Every single Sunday, to pray for you and particularly For me, that the word would speed ahead in our midst. I would love it if that number wasn't 15 people. (laughs) But if it was 500 people. And you are invited to do that with us every Sunday. Either by yourself at home before you come. Or to gather with us in the fireside room when we regather again. Just to pray for that 
particular thing. And some of you have heard me tell this story before. It's one of my favorite stories about the height of his preaching ministry in London, England. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the pastor of Metropolitan Tabernacle Church, was preaching to about 5,500 members every week. And some hundreds of them would come to church early, not five minutes early to get their coffee, not ten minutes early to say hi to their friends, but some hours early every Sunday to go to the basement and to plead with God that he would work through his word that day. In fact, one Sunday, five college students showed up because they had heard of the fame of Charles Spurgeon and they wanted to hear him preach. And to their surprise, he met them in the hallway and asked them a rather peculiar question. Would you like to see the heating plant of our church, he said. And it was a hot July afternoon or morning, and so awkwardly they said yes because they didn't want to be rude to the famous preacher. And he quietly brought them to the basement where he opened the door and to their amazement 700 people were on their knees and their whole purpose was to pray for the church service that was about to start I wonder what would happen if we were committed to praying for the speeding on of the word like that Another time, somebody asked Spurgeon the secret to his preaching. He had seen over 10,000 people put their faith in Christ during his ministry in England. And his answer was short and simple. The secret to my preaching is that my people pray for me. Pray for us. Pray for me. (laughs) Pray for this congregation, this community, that the word would speed ahead here and be honored. And see what God starts to do as a result. Application number three is with the nature of the church and what type of church we want to be. And I won't belabor this point just to say that there's a lot of different ways you can describe churches out there. Whether they're churches that are primarily described by their involvement in the community or by their music or by the experience that they create on a Sunday or by the demographic that they minister to. And There's this weird competition among Christians when it comes to these types of things. And yet I must say, without a doubt, when somebody says to me, well, that's a Bible-driven church. (laughs) They might mean that as a good thing or as it's only a Bible-driven church. (laughs) Uh, I find great compliment in that. Because it means that we're committed to to that word speeding ahead. Application number four is that, and this is important for you personally as well, I think that everybody in life wants to be significant. To get to the end of your life and to know that you have accomplished something. To know that you didn't let life pass you by waiting until the days of your death but that you invested yourself into something that was lasting, something that was important. And that type of investment points to your significance. And I want you to know that your prayer, as I said at the beginning, 
how you pray and what you pray for can be the thing that leaves that type of legacy. Here's the logic. If God's purposes are the most important thing in the world, if you believe in a God, you believe that he is the most important being and that his purposes, by definition, have to be the most important purposes. And if he tells us that he accomplishes those purposes through his word, that the word grows, those are the ways that his purposes are accomplished. And then he chooses to use prayer as the means by which that word continues to grow. Then it stands to reason that you, you, every single one of you can be actively used in the accomplishment of the most important thing in the world. And that is what happens when you pray that the word advances in your life and in the lives of those around you for the sake of the Lord Jesus. That God uses you to accomplish the most important things in the world. That, my friends, is what we call legacy. Is there anything more significant than that? To be involved in the purposes of God for the whole world. Prayer is the means by which God advances his word to people in order to change their life. Look with me, we're running out of time, look with me at verses 4 and 5. We see in verses 4 and 5 that God's work happens in you through this word and prayer. I'll read it again. It says this. And we have confidence, Paul writes, we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Paul says... He is confident that they will do what we commanded. What he's saying is, what did they command? Well, they commanded the things of the word. He's saying that they will follow the word. And he's confident of that. God has changed them. They're no longer going to do the things that they were doing or the things that they wanted to do or the things that their flesh told them to do. Now they're doing the things that the word tells them to do. God has changed them, he is changing them, and he's doing it through the word and through prayer. And then he prays again for them, may God, he exhorts them and prays, that this change will continue in two specific ways. That God will direct their hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That God would continue to transform them their heart, the core of their affections and their will, that they will love like God loves and that they will hold fast like Christ held fast in the midst of his sufferings. That is what God does when he changes your life. That's how you describe his work. That's what happens when you obey his word. God changes you. And so do you want to change? Do you want to grow? Do you want a relationship with him? It starts 
with your faith, putting your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, it continues with obeying God's word as it takes root in your life. And prayer is the means by which God advances his word to people in order that they will change. I think now more than ever, people want to be known. People want to be remembered. In the age of celebrity that we have right now, you see again and again and again people pressing themselves out to the public eye because they want to be known. They want to be remembered. Some of them have nothing in particular to be known for other than their clothes or their looks or their experiences that you see on Instagram or TikTok or even Facebook. Others want to be known for something maybe more substantive in their nature. But you want your life to count for something. And that's a good thing. Emma Alley died a few years ago. She was in her mid-90s. You didn't know her. There was no great fanfare or parade. She didn't leave great wealth behind for her family. And by the world's standards, her passing was of no great consequence. But for those who knew Emma, they knew of the type of person that she was, the substance of this woman. And how every time I saw her, through her 80s and into her early 90s, she had this joy about her on her face that she was describe what she was reading in her Bible, what she was learning about the Lord Jesus, who she was witnessing to Christ, or to, about, to, about Jesus too. And then she'd look me in the eye and she had this look that would look all the way through you, would pierce you, would go all the way down to your soul. And she would say, Pastor, I pray for you every day. I don't know what she prayed for, but I know that at the very least she prayed that the word would speed ahead. I think some people are going to get to the near end of their life and it's natural for us to take stock of what we've done, to take stock of our accomplishments. Perhaps a large family and a great lineage is following us. Perhaps we've left wealth behind for our kids or our grandkids or maybe not wealth but at least helped the grandkids with their college fund. Maybe it's been a great accomplishment at work or a personal feat that you've overcome. All great things, all important things, all things of substance. But you know what? In time, those things and the people who did them will be forgotten. Their great-grandchildren might remember their names. Their great-great-grandchildren will have to sign up for an online ancestry tool to find out about them. And as they pass over to eternity, 
and the curtain of history is pulled back just a bit. And they get a glimpse of what were the things that really changed the world. They're going to see people like Emma Alley, who prayed and prayed and prayed. And who God used the fervent prayers of that little woman to move mountains and to save souls and to shape the peace of history around her. And here's the thing. You can be that type of person. You can have that type of legacy. That's what happens when you pray diligently that the word speeds ahead. And so I implore you to go and do likewise.